So Holy Spirit, ask that you would please use those words from Scripture, use what I'm going to say in these next few minutes to help us be more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I want to welcome all of you here on Palm Sunday, as well as those of you who are watching on the podcast. Great to have all of you with us. I want to start with just a question. Have you ever pursued a goal or a dream or maybe even a relationship, and it's a good thing you're pursuing, but done it in the wrong way? Let me give you an example. As I've shared before, when I was in high school, I worked as a waiter at a place called Farrell's. Anyone here kind of remember? There we go. Some folks my age or around my age remember that. It was a restaurant, for those of you who don't know, it was a restaurant where the waiters had to do all these different performances. So for instance, if it was someone's birthday, I had to get the whole restaurant to sing happy birthday to that person. One of my favorite ones was we had a dish called the pig trough. And again, some of you know what I'm talking about. Whenever someone ate a pig trough, I had this speech that I had to say. I still remember it to this day. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your very special attention here because Sally here has made a pig of herself at Farrell's. And then I had to get everyone in the restaurant to oink at Sally. And I was really good at it. Like, I could get everyone to oink. In fact, I bet I could still do it. You want, me, you want to try? And actually, it was a good job. It was actually great preparation to become a pastor. It taught me how to be up front. However, I did not get that job in a good way. Because my first job there was as a dishwasher, and I hated it. We called it the dish pit. It was hot. It smelled terrible, which meant I always smelled terrible. Girls never dated the dish pitters, always dated the waiters. So I told the manager, after just a week or two, I told the manager I did not have the spiritual gift of dish pitting and that I really should be a waiter. Well, instead of giving me an answer, he told me a story about some monk who washed dishes in the monastery who always said, I have no right to do anything else until I am the best dishwasher ever. And he tells me this story in this tone that like he just imparted some deep wisdom to me that sort of settled the question. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, thanks, Yoda. Happy from now on I shall be. So for the following few weeks, I pestered, I badgered, I argued. I just, I just kept making a pain of myself until this manager finally caved in, made me a waiter, probably just to shut me up. I got what I wanted. I got a good thing, a promotion, but didn't really go about it in the best way. That's kind of what's going on in the story that we just read about David. And I know it's a little odd to read the Old Testament on Palm Sunday, but I actually think they connect, and I'll say why later. The story asks the question, how do we go about getting our goals? How do we go about achieving our goals and dreams? Do we do it God's way, which I'll define in a minute, or do we do it our way? Or as I titled this sermon, my way or the highway, God's higher way. Because see, all of us are always striving for something. That's just human nature. What is that for you right now? Maybe it's a promotion at work. Or maybe it's something material like a new house. Or maybe it's to be well-liked. Or maybe it's to get married. Or to have more adventure in life. Those last two are not mutually exclusive, by the way. And most of the things we aim for are good things. It's not wrong to have goals and aim high and never give up. And often we pursue those things in a great way and in a godly way. But sometimes... Even the good things that we pursue can become destructive if we do them in the wrong way. And that's what this story is about. Now the background here is that David has been chosen as Israel's next king. But he's not yet king. 
And the current king, Saul, is jealous of David's military success. So Saul tries to kill David, and David runs away along with some followers. But what's interesting is, even though David is the fugitive, he's more joyful, more courageous, more confident than the king. In fact, Saul's a great illustration of what can happen to us if we pursue things our way rather than God's way. He's miserable. He's so insane with jealousy, throwing spears at David, trying to kill him for 20 years, tries to kill him, because what makes his life worthwhile, the way he measures his whole sense of self, is by his success as king. And he will do anything to hang on to that. And the result is broken relationships, stress, fear, worry. I have a friend who's a pastor who said that early in his career, every week he had a number that either made him feel wonderful or terrible. You can guess what that number is. It was the attendance number at his church. It just governed his whole life. That's what happens when we go about even a good thing in the wrong way. But David is the opposite. Filled with joy, has great friendships, confident, because he's pursuing a good goal with God and in God's way. So then how do we do that? And what does it mean to pursue things God's way so that we can have the same kind of joy and confidence that David has? Well, the first point is this. To do things God's way means we focus on the blessings we have right now and the things God has asked us to do right now and let him guide our future. See, the background, larger background of this story is the Philistines have, are, are invading Israel. As king, Saul should be out fighting the Philistines instead of chasing David. And if he'd done that, the thing that he was supposed to do right there, maybe he'd have been victorious and maybe the folks would have loved him as much as they loved David. And often we do similar things. Sometimes when we are doing things our way, not God's way, we get so focused on something in the future that we forget the things that God's asked us to do right now and the blessings we have. For instance, the person who is single and is so focused on getting married sometimes misses the good things they have in their life, doesn't, get to, doesn't really enjoy them. Maybe like a great job or good friendships or something like that. The person who hates their job sometimes gets so focused on getting out of that job that they miss the opportunities, the friendships, the blessings that they have right where they're at. For instance, in my dish pitting experience, I think I miss some friendships and I definitely think I miss developing some skills by forcing that promotion rather than just doing my best and letting the manager decide when to promote me. In fact, one of the things for sure I missed was the chance to develop a little thing called patience, something I am still working on. Now, it wasn't wrong for me to want a promotion. That wasn't wrong. My problem was thinking there was no blessing right where I was at. That's what's going on for Saul in this story. So then as the story progresses, Saul chases David to try to kill him. And then it says Saul came to a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yet again, more proof the Bible is not made up. Right, like you would never make that up. I know, let's have him go to the bathroom. No, you would never make that up, right? In fact, it's also proof that God wants nine-year-olds to read the Bible. Because <laughs> it's just filled with things like that that just make for great juvenile humor, right? Oh, the king is on his throne. <laughs> I can just hear my kids giggling now. It actually kind of makes, well, it made you giggle as well. So there you go. Well, David happens to be in the exact same cave. And David's followers say to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Doesn't that sound great? God's promise sounds so biblical, doesn't it? Just one problem. God never said that. God never said that to David. They're making it up. 
Which brings me to the second point. To do things God's way means we avoid justifying our actions with a whole lot of holy talk and Christianese. And here's where temptation is so subtle. Is it God's will that David become the next king? Absolutely. So you can see how easy it would be for David to go, well, this must be how God's going to do it, right? Here's Saul. I can kill him. He doesn't even know I'm here. Right? But David doesn't do that because David knows that God never asks us to do something that goes against what he says in the Bible. And as it turns out, regicide is not recommended. David's men are just using holy talk to spiritualize revenge. And sometimes I think we do similar things. I have heard, for instance, people say to me directly, justify having an affair by saying God says he wants us to be happy and this is what makes me happy. Or maybe justifying overworking and not being with our family as much as we should be because, you know, well, I gotta, I gotta be a good steward of the advantages God has given me. So easy to justify our actions. Or, or make up things that we think God should have said had the Bible been written more correctly. For instance, for instance, sometimes folks will say things like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. It's in the Bible. Pastor John Orkberg talks about getting in a fight with his wife's aunt about whether or not that was in the Bible. And he said, look, I'm a pastor. It's not there. And she said, not only is it in the Bible, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> so he bet her $20 that it wasn't there. I have no idea whether it's okay or not to bet on the Bible. But he won the bet. Benjamin Franklin said it. See, we all have our Bibles that have the regular 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, and then we all add a 67th book called the Book of First Opinions, and it is our favorite book in the Bible, just filled with all kinds of things we think God should have said, and it is so easy to justify our own desires as, quote, God's will. So that raises the question, well, then if all that's the case, how do I know God's will? How do I know whether I'm doing things God's way or my way? How do I figure that out? Well, that could be another sermon, but just a couple of quick things. First, let's start with reading the Bible to find out what it actually says. And if you need help with that, get a study Bible, ask a pastor, participate in Bible plain and simple. Second, just keep praying and asking God to guide you and listen for those nudges that come your way that may be from God. Third, get wise counsel from folks who know Scripture. Folks who know scripture very well. Fourth, ask ourselves some key questions to keep us honest. Is this thing I'm pursuing and the way I'm pursuing it bringing me closer to God or further? Is it strengthening my relationships or hurting them? Is it helping me be more like Jesus or not? And the point here is not that we do everything perfectly. God never asks us to be perfect. In this story, David's not perfect. We know that because it said that while Saul was taking care of business, David cuts a part of Saul's robe off. And then it says David was conscious stricken for having cut off his robe, part of his robe. And you probably, when we read that, well, why, was he, why did that bother David so much? Probably because the robe represented royal authority. And so even though David doesn't kill Saul, by cutting off a part of his robe, he's symbolically and kind of passive aggressively taking the kingdom. Plus, it's a way to humiliate Saul given the circumstances, right? So David's not perfect in this story, but God doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks that we do our best to do things his way and follow him. And when we mess up, fess up, ask forgiveness and move on rather than try to justify our actions. Several years ago, I was playing catch with my son and after just a little while, I said, hey buddy, I, I gotta go work on a sermon now. 
And he looked really disappointed that I had to go. So I said, you know what? In a few weeks, I'm going to be on vacation. And then we can play catch whenever you want to play catch. And we will not stop until you say it's time to stop, not me. He should not have been as happy as that made him. That should not have been such a rare occurrence in our relationship that it made him that happy. And I realized, you know, I'm pursuing a good thing. Yeah, I want to give good sermons that, you know, help people out. But so easy to justify doing it the wrong way with a whole lot of holy talk. Well, I am laboring in the Lord's vineyard solely for the glory of God. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, part of that's true, but there's also a fair amount of ego going on here too, right? I mean, I want you to approve of me. I, I don't want any of you going home on a Sunday and having roast preacher for lunch, right? So ever since then, when I'm doing something like playing catch with one of my kids, I have tried not to stop when at all possible until they say it's time to stop, which I've discovered can be a very long time. <laughs> so that I'm more likely to be doing my job God's way than my way. Which brings me to the third point, and that is when we're striving for something, when there's some goal we're pressing towards, to wait on God's timing, not force ours. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? So hard. Yeah, you know the old phrase, God's never late. Yeah, but he sure seems to take his time, doesn't he? Loves a cliffhanger. Later in this story, David says, I'm not going to kill Saul, because eventually Saul's time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. In other words, David's willing to wait on God's timing to be king. Now that doesn't mean if we have some goal, if we're pursuing something or praying for something, we should just wait for it to drop in our laps from heaven. No, David is active here doing the things God has asked him to do. It just means we got to be honest. God, am I doing this in your timing or am I trying to force my own timing? Am I trying to force something? And then know that while we wait on God's timing, however long that can be, and sometimes that's years Know that as we wait on God's timing, it is not wasted time. Because as we wait on God's timing, even if it's a decade or more, God is shaping us and molding us. David had to wait 20 years to be king. It's not wasted, though. And that brings me to the next point, and that is to see obstacles as opportunities to grow. Even though it looks to David's men like this is the perfect time for him to be king, it is not the perfect time. He's not ready yet. And yes, that means David will spend more years, 20 actually, wandering in the wilderness, running away from Saul. But in those wandering years, God is teaching David some things he's going to need in the future. He's learning to lead, even in difficult times. King need, kings need that. He's learning how to hide out in the desert and evade being captured. He's going to need that 25 years later when his son launches a civil war against him. It's during this period that David writes many of the Psalms, leaving a legacy that lasts to this day. As we wait on God's timing, it's not wasted time. God is giving us skills and molding our character for what we need, for what lies ahead. When I was working on my dissertation in graduate school, I was just driven to succeed. As most of you know, it was on Renaissance literature, and I really wanted to get parts of it published so that I could establish myself as a literary scholar. And I worked for months on the first chapter, and it, months and months, and it came out to be about 50 pages. Well, I handed it in to my advisor. He gave it back to me the next day. The only thing he'd written on it was, say everything you say here, but in half the space. I was so irritated. I mean, I'm not even sure he read the thing. Right? Just that one, I mean, he, he had missed the genius of my insights on Shakespeare, the, you know, the, the, the stunning pyrotechnic display of intellectual prowess that was my dissertation. So I worked for weeks and weeks and weeks to get that thing cut in half down to 25 pages, turned it in. He gave it back to me the same day. All it said was half again. 
At which point I said a lot of things, interesting, colorful things. So I worked for weeks more, got that thing down to 13 pages. When I turned it in, he said, what do you think? And I said, I think it's the most elegant thing I've ever written. And he said, remember, Scott, it's almost always better, shorter. Best advice on preaching I ever got <laughs> from my atheist literature prof at Stanford. Now, at the time, I thought the delay was wasted time, but it wasn't. It taught me how to be a bit better writer, and it really was great preparation to be a pastor, especially a Presbyterian pastor, where if you preach much more than 25 minutes, folks get nervous. They're, they're not going to beat the Baptist to lunch. <laughs> Speaking of which, let me land the plane. To do things God's way means focus on the things God's asked us to do now. Don't justify our actions. Wait on God's timing. Embrace those obstacles as ways to grow. And then finally, be about something bigger than ourselves. God is not making David king for just to fulfill one of David's career goals. He's making David king because it's part of his rescue plan to form the nation of Israel as a people who know his love and spread it to the world. It also is probably God's way of continuing to reach out to Saul. Because later in the story, David tells Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And then Saul says, you are more righteous than I. I know that you will surely be king. For a brief minute, Saul stops being crazy and actually accepts God's will. Now, it doesn't last. He goes back to his old ways. But through, God, through David, God is continuing to reach out to Saul. He has not even given up on Saul. In other words, this isn't just about David. It's about something bigger. And it's the same with us. God gives us the jobs we have, not just to fulfill a career goal on our part, but so that we can be part of his rescue mission right where we're at in our office. The money we have is not just to make us comfortable, but to give some of it away to the things that help people know God's love. God blesses us, not just for ourselves, but to be a blessing. <clears throat> a pastor I know and his wife, I'll call them Mark and Linda, were trying to adopt a baby but having a really hard time. I mean, they'd come really close, but each time, the, at the last minute, the birth mom would change her mind and give the baby to someone else. This happened over and over. It was just heartbreaking. Well, they finally found a birth mom who agreed to give them the baby, and Mark and Linda went to meet her in Portland, where she lives, and everything was going great. But then, a few days later, they got a call that said that the mom had changed her mind and that she wanted to give the baby to another family for health reasons, which made absolutely no sense at all. And they'd had this great time together. So the next morning, Mark got up and he said to Linda, would it be okay if I told you that I don't think this is over? And she said, no, it would not be okay. I need to move on. Well, eventually they found out that the real reason the, mom had the birth mom had changed her mind was because the baby's father, some 16-year-old guy, his mother intervened and said she didn't want the baby to go to a pastor. She'd been hurt by a church and churches are filled with mean and nasty people and she didn't want the baby to go there. Okay, she's the father's mother whose 16-year-old son wants nothing to do with this kid. She doesn't really have a say in the matter. And Mark and Linda could, could have fought that and argued. Probably nothing legal they could have done, but might have been tempting to try. But that's not what they did. Not that there aren't times where we may need to fight to protect ourselves or others, but this wasn't it. But neither did they just give up. They chose neither fight nor flight. Instead, Jesus' third way. They said, tell you what, we will come to Portland, where they all lived, and, and the father's mother, she can meet us and interview us and see that we're not mean people, which they did. But this woman still didn't relent. So then they invited her to come up here and stay with them and see how they lived. She refused. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. She'd ask for more information. They'd give it, but she'd still refuse to let them have the baby or even come for a visit. 
Finally, Mark said, that's it. I am tired of tap dancing for this woman. We need to move on. But then it was Linda who said, ah, 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 wait a minute. Not so fast. Let's keep praying. Well, meanwhile, the father and his mom, this woman, they had come up here without Mark and Linda knowing it. They'd actually gone to Mark's church without them even knowing it. And in spite of herself, this woman actually found herself liking church. She said, I didn't know church could be like that. Her son, the baby's dad, said, I didn't know like it could be like that either. And I want to become a Christian now. No idea how the mom felt about that one. The long and the short of it is, a couple of weeks ago, Mark and Linda got the baby. Now, is wanting to adopt a good thing? Absolutely. Mark and Linda even felt it was God's will for their life. But rather than force their way or bully their way or just walk away, they did it God's way showed this woman who they easily could have seen as the enemy, God's love and grace. Focused on the things God had asked them to do in the present. Didn't justify anything. They waited on God's timing. Those obstacles were just ways to grow and, 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 they, and, 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 and something bigger than themselves happened. They didn't just get the baby for themselves. They helped this whole family experience Jesus' love. And even if they hadn't gotten the baby, <clears throat> they went through the whole thing with a sense of peace because they knew that Jesus was with them and they were working in concert with Jesus and his methods. They did it God's way, not their way. And this is where I think this story is a perfect story for Palm Sunday. Throughout this sermon series on David, we'll see that David foreshadows Jesus in lots of ways. Now Jesus was God, David wasn't, but he points to Jesus. David was born in Bethlehem, so was Jesus. David was king, so was Jesus. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, everyone shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, because Jesus is David's descendant. But they were shouting that because they thought Jesus was going to kick out the occupying Roman army by force. But that's the human way. Seize power. That's the human way. God's way was different. God had something bigger in mind than just driving out the Romans. In Jesus, God went to the cross to drive out sin and conquered death by rising three days later. And the results of that were bigger, greater, longer lasting than any temporary human military victory ever would have been. God's ways are often harder, but they're also better. <clears throat> so what are the things that you are hoping for, striving for, those goals you have out there? Most of them are probably really good. But this week, ask yourself, am I doing it my way or God's way? Focus on what he's asked you to do now. Wait on his timing. Get rid of justifications. Embrace those obstacles as a way to grow and be about something bigger than yourself. Because when we do that, we become like David. And life gets bigger, richer, deeper, better. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way. They who wait upon themselves, no, they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary, walk and not faint. As scripture says over and over again, God's ways are not our ways. They're better. So Jesus, help us to walk in concert with you. Those things that we are praying for, those things we are hoping for, those things, Lord, that we are striving for, those goals, help us to pursue them with you and in your way so that we can know your unforced rhythms of grace. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.